Beer and Honey, the German football pod. Beer and Honey, the German football pod with our special final look at Germany's World Cup failure and the lessons learned. Who's coming? Who's going? What's next? I'm Rafael Honigstein. And I'm Christoph Biermann. And we'll be talking about the lessons learned and the consequences of Qatar 2022. Another failure for Germany to get out the group stage after the disaster of Russia. Thanks for listening. Uh, please remember that you can support us, you should support us on steadyhq.com slash en slash honey. We can't do it without you. Thank you for those who are already subscribing and thank you for those who will be subscribing after this heartfelt appeal. Yeah. Um, where are we now? Um, uh, still in tears? Not really. Are you in tears still about the, about the German national team? I guess. Not. No, but I'm still frustrated. I see mm -hmm. Morocco playing Portugal. I'm thinking we should be there. Why aren't we there? Um, I see the Netherlands play pretty functional football and and Croatia with an Asian team and think Germany could have easily had one of those places in the final eight. Maybe not the semi-final, but certainly the quarter-final, I think, were, were doable. And it's it's annoying. Uh, it's to, I, to me, it feels like a missed opportunity, unnecessary defeat, and yeah, uh, it's uh, very, a very frustrating. Very functional frustrating. football, I think, is a that would have been a good idea to yeah. play some functional football. Yeah. Um, uh, we already discussed how dysfunctional it was. Uh, the unbalance between defense and offense and and all that but Hansi Flick is still there and will be there also he will be uh, the coach for the German national team at the Euros uh, 2024 in Germany so he is not um, the victim of this World Cup campaign he is not um, Obviously, nobody saw him as uh, the guilty person. Um, is that is that the um, correct consequence um, to to work on with Hansi Flick? What do you think, Rafael? I think before you fire a manager at any level, you have to be really sure that things will be different and much improved without him. And, of course, tied into that, the idea that the next guy is much better, won't make the same mistakes. Now, I think in this particular case, the German FA were neither convinced that he was the biggest problem. Certainly, he made some mistakes. But they weren't convinced that it need, that the problem was so big that it needed a drastic solution in, in the shape of him getting fired and somebody else coming in. My theory or my suggestion or suspicion, I should say, is that if a certain Jurgen Klopp would have said, you know what, <laughs> the Euros 2024 in Germany and then the World Cup in the USA, geil, I want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> then I think um, Hans-Joachim Watzke, who is now the, the, the president in all but name of the German FA, might have said, yeah, 
thank you, Hansi. It was, um, was a nice experience, but um, we'll do something else. But because Klopp's not available, because I didn't sense any degree of great enthusiasm for Thomas Tuchel taking the job, both on his behalf, but also from the German FA, they kind of said, you know what, Hansi will probably get it right. And let's not put ourselves in a position where we end up with someone who we probably believe in even less because the cupboard would have been quite empty as far as credible contenders would have been concerned if they decided to let him go. But let us talk about Jurgen Klopp a minute. Uh, he, he won't be available, that's for sure. But why is everybody dreaming about Jurgen Klopp? I think there is a deep longing for his kind of enthusiasm, his kind of communication, his kind of making things guile. <laughs> um, <laughs> so so be because the main problem in a way, is, uh, so apart from this, um, footballing details and how you play and so on is that the whole national team is has has lost um, the audience in the end. So so um, it, it lost their supporters um, over the over the years uh, after 2016. No, after 2018. So. The German national team needs some kind of energy boost. What can we do to to increase the enthusiasm for for, for this team? What 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 is needed to 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 wake it up again? Christoph, I think you really hit the nail on the head. Hansi Flick showed at this World Cup that he is not the most effective of communicators that uh, he doesn't connect with the audience, with the public. He connects with his players, but not with the wider public. And you wonder where that sense of identification and that sense of momentum will come from. My thinking is that it can only come from the performances of the team, that the team will play so well, and it's going to be difficult with only friendlies in the next 18 months, that the public will be excited about this team playing at the Euros because they feel so confident that this team can win and then the excitement will just generate authentically, organically through the quality of the team. But it will not come from the players. The players, this generation, I think it's difficult to identify with them the way that, you know, in the past you had these more sort of working class heroes that people really felt uh, they connected with. And you won't get it from Flick and you won't get it from his coaching staff. And dare I say it, I don't see that anyone within the German FA will be able to create that either. I mean, Watzke is a very shrewd operator, but not a particularly likable person for the guy in the street. The same is true of Uh, Freddy Bobic or Matthias Sommer or really all the other names that are being mentioned as possible sporting directors coming in to follow Oliver Bierhoff, which of course we'll talk about in a second as well. So 
I don't see how this can be a, a PR campaign, how this can be sort of orchestrated from the top. I think it has to come naturally, organically through the football itself, which is not impossible with the players that they have, but tricky if there are no meaningful games until June 2024 for this Germany team. Let's talk about the players for a second before we, we, we come um, to, uh, to talk about Oliver Bierhoff and, and um, what, what will happen after him. Niklas Füllkrug, in a way, was filling the, this emotional gap. Here we have a story. Somebody who had been playing in the second division only um, a year ago. Um, he didn't have the pedigree coming from this um, uh, fantastic youth. Uh, he, he also came from a youth academy, but, but he had a different background. He had a real life story. Is that a problem you, you can solve um, with players who have nowadays the kind of biographies they have? Or are we maybe also a bit unjust to these players? I mean, to, to see them not as humans enough? S sometimes I have the feeling they, um, you, they are nice guys, but you don't see it anymore. I think a lot of this is tied up with, with success. Yeah. The same accusations were leveled at the Lahm Schweinsteiger generation, They were too nice. They were too clean. Yes, you had, you know, still players like Lukas Podolski and Miroslav Klose in that side. But by the time it came to 2014, there was an expectation almost that this generation could not win because they didn't have all these attributes that you just talked about. Mm. But then you see Lahm playing well. You see Schweinsteiger bleeding, which is always <laughs> very much appreciated <laughs> in the final. And suddenly they win and then they're winners. Um, you're only a winner once you win. And before that, you are a loser. Um, that's kind of the black and white approach that a lot of people take to football. So I don't think there's anything they can do. Of course, they can be talking about socially important things. I think somebody like Leon Goretzka is, is, is very genuine in his concerns. But again, it doesn't necessarily connect with a huge amount of people when he talks about, you know, visiting Dachau concentration camp uh, in his day off in Munich. It it's, talks to kind of a select audience, I think. So we just need goals. We just need better results. We just need more competence on the pitch and then everything else will, will follow from that, hopefully. In that context, uh, Raphael, um, there, was a, there were these rumors that only... Um, Leon Goretzka and Manuel Neuer were seriously behinding this, um, uh, this one love, um, captain armband and that the rest of the team was annoyed by the, the discussion about it. Um, what have you heard? Is this true or is it overblown? Um, Can, can, can we add something to this here? I think it's right to say that there was definite, definitely a difference of opinion and a difference in strength of feeling about this decision. Manuel Neuer felt very committed to this whole thing because he had spoken about it and he didn't want to be seen as somebody not keeping his word and simply forgetting about all the statements he'd made before about wearing the armband. So I think he was very keen that uh, Germany wouldn't just let this slip wouldn't just let this pass without comment 
and Goretzka in a similar way because he'd been very outspoken about these issues going into the World Cup felt that he needed to again reiterate his position. Other people in the player council of the leading uh, players felt less keen on this or said, you know what, let's just leave it. What can we do? Is it really necessary? I don't know if it's true to say that this was a massive bone on contention and an argument and a disagreement, but not everybody felt the same way. I think that is that is probably fair to say. Whether this was a distraction or not, again, is difficult to know because Germany started very well against Japan for 70 minutes and only then tr problems <laughs> arose. So it's hard to make the Arsene Wenger statement that, uh, you know, the political protests distracted uh, Germany. And at the same time, I'm sure it wasn't wasn't helpful. In a way, it's a natural it's a natural thing. And I don't think you can expect every player to feel exactly the same way. And, you know, some players are more mature and some players just want to play football and are still very young and feel, you know, what do I have to think about all these things? So you'll always have different strands of feelings inside a dressing room. But ultimately, I think the bigger lesson is that the whole politicization of the World Cup put Germany into a situation where whatever they were doing or not doing would have led to huge criticism. And that's something that Thomas Müller talked about when after the first game he said, I get the feeling that what whatever I say or whatever position we take, we will be criticized for it. I don't think it's it's a it's a serious argument that this is in any way an explanation for this World Cup failure. Because it makes no, I mean, just so after 70 minutes against Japan, all of a sudden the players realized that they had this difficult discussion about the armband and then um, uh, the team lost it. I mean, basically what we are talking about is this, the failure in 25 minutes of or 20 minutes uh, of the match against Japan. And, um, I mean, we 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 discussed it already, but but I don't I don't see any chance to to use that as an argument in in the whole. I, I find it absolutely ridiculous. Um, I mean, overall, yeah, it's it's true. But when we when we're trying to analyze what went wrong, it's not the reason. No, it's not the reason. But I think it is it is a fair point to make that the federation should have handled things better and not exposed the players to this problem. And they should have perhaps anticipated these, these problems after FIFA were playing for time. And they should have maybe made a decision to relieve the players from the pressure. The problem is, and this is where I have sympathy with the federation, if at least some leading players feel very strongly about this, then as a federation, you cannot tell them, well, look, just be quiet either, because then you'd be censoring them. So it was just a very, very difficult position to be in. And maybe they should have done what they did in Russia, which is to talk about this before the tournament. I remember Philip Lahm talking about issues before the tournament, also before Ukraine, uh, Ukraine-Poland 2012. And then they agreed that only the FA in the shape of, um, of uh, the president at the time, Grindel, would talk about the political issues. And the players didn't. 
Um, it didn't really help for 2018, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think if there should be another tournament like this, this would be the lesson that they can learn from this. Oliver Bierhoff is gone now. He stepped down. He stepped down because he, he could see what was coming. He could see what was coming. He could see that people were holding him accountable for the failure. I think it was a case of really people needing that, that kind of sacrificial lamb, <laughs> the scapegoat. Somebody had to be killed for the sins of the whole tribe, <laughs> uh, as it was in biblical terms uh, times. And having been there for 18 years and having not a strong constituency outside the FA, inside the FA, he was actually very, very strong, perhaps too strong, doing a lot of things at the same time. But outside, he was very much the face, I think, of the failure of 2018, 2021. And uh, this year that he could see that hanging on would probably only work if he had to give up a lot of the control of the things he really wanted to do and maybe just become the academy head or you know go into a more of a desk role and I don't think he wanted to do that so before they even put the gun to his head he decided I'm stepping away to clear the path and to also protect Hansi Flick I don't think that their fates were necessarily linked but that public pressure to see somebody lose their head metaphorically speaking, was lessened quite dramatically once Bierhoff stepped down. So I think he did do Flick one last favor as well in doing so, even though Flick has lost a, a huge ally inside the FA and we won't know what a future setup will look like. Um, we know that Hansi Flick is very strong on loyalty, on support, The moment he feels that whoever will be in charge next to him doesn't fully believe in him, I think we're looking at serious problems. So now there's a lot of clamor for somebody unbequem, as they say in German, somebody who's a little bit abrasive, a little bit challenging to come in. But whether that will lead to a more productive environment or to a more fraught one, I'm not so sure. Because history suggests that Flick doesn't really work well with friction i think he prefers to work in a more harmonious environment but before we look in, into the future maybe another word of, about oliver bierhoff because he is maybe interesting from from somebody from the perspective from somebody abroad who is probably listening to us and he said ah this guy bierhoff he was 18 years around he was also the man behind winning the A World Cup in 2014, he turned uh, things round at the German FA, at the national team and so on. He is spectacularly unpopular in Germany. I mean, I, I think somebody from abroad ca can't probably even imagine how unpopular he is. And it's interesting um, because uh, if you know him, he is a likable guy. Um, he is okay. But in a way, he doesn't understand football. Some parts of football culture are a foreign language for him that he doesn't understand. And, um, and, and that was always funny. I mean, one example is uh, this um, claim, die Mannschaft. 
um, that he, because he was thinking the German national team needed something like this, hashtag die Mannschaft. And um, this is almost hated by, by a lot of people uh, in Germany. And he never understood why. Uh, he never understood how people could see it as an example of over-commercialization and, and stuff like this. And uh, I can tell you a little story here. So many years back, before, before he became kind of Germany's team manager in two, 2006, or maybe it was in 2004, he was, I think, working for Coca-Cola, And Coca-Cola at that time was starting the fan club of the German national team. So it was powered by Coca-Cola, also something a lot of people hated. And when they had one of their first appearances um, at official um, fan club of the German national team, um, I wrote an article um, at Süddeutsche Zeitung at that time and um, I, I mean, I murdered the idea. Um, uh, <laughs> and, and interestingly, Oliver Bierhoff contacted me and he, he wanted to meet me and, and discuss it because he didn't understand it. And so we met in Cologne in a cafe and, and it was really, I mean, it, it, I found it very nice or, very positive that he was obviously trying to learn about this but we were sitting in this cafe and i was trying to to explain um what what was behind my rant and and um but i could see that he didn't he he couldn't understand it and and this kind of um a problem this blind spot for 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 some aspects of football um they are still there uh 20 years later it's uh, it's very interesting and uh, i think that's why he never became popular although he actually do, did a lot of very good things yeah i have nothing to add i think we can move on Yeah, but now we need somebody new. And before we talk about it, who that could be or will be, uh, we should have an, another edition of our fabulous Learning Fußball Deutsch. Learning Fußball Deutsch with beer and honey. And today I... Uh, remembered a fantastic, a rarely used word nowadays. It's called Trainerfindungskommission. <laughs> Raphael, what, 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 what's, would this fantastic word, German word, uh, be in English? A commission for finding a new manager. But it doesn't sound as, as nice as the German compound uh, word. But... That, that's what it is, uh, putting people together with a job to find a new manager. We've had this situation uh, in Germany, especially most notably in 2004, when Rudi Völler stepped down after the Euros and Ottmar Hitzfeld, who everyone believed was the only credible and logical candidate, said, no, I don't want to do it. I don't feel I have the energy at this moment. 
And then there was real panic. And the Trainerfindungskommission. They asked Otto Rehagel, <laughs> yeah. Felix Magath, Thomas Schaaf, Arsene Wenger, Holger Osig, um, later on uh, Lothar, Roy Hodgson, I think. Probably, yeah. Um, Lothar Matthäus, um, he. He talked him. He tried to talk himself in. Vinny um, uh, Schäfer, who was coaching Cameroon <laughs> at that time, also Martin Olsen, Gus Hiddink, and uh, Freiburg's famous Volker Finke. They were also in this bubble of 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 uh, uh, candidates. And uh, the T TFK, the Trainerfindungskommission, consisted of uh, Franz Beckenbauer. Um, Erhard Meyer Vorfelder, the then uh, president of the German FA, Werner Hackmann, the then president of the German Football League, and the famous Horst A Schmidt, the general secretary um, of the German FA, <laughs> and, and they were, yeah. You know, how long, how long did they take? Um, I think maybe uh, a couple of two, months. Two, yeah, three months or so, and and then they found. Jürgen Klinsmann and Oliver Bierhoff. Yeah. And now we don't need a Trainerfindungskommission, but we need a Managerfindungskommission. But I think the Managerfindungskommission consists of um, Aki Watzke and Bernd Neundorf, the um, head of the German FA. And I think they already found the guy they want. And it's Freddy Bobic. Does it make sense to you? It depends how you define the role. I think they said, first of all, we need to actually understand what is the job requirement here because Oliver Bierhoff amassed a lot of power and was responsible for a lot of things, perhaps too many things, because not only was he the guy in charge of the national team, all national teams, in fact, but also the academy, uh, which is uh, just being opened in Germany um, for coaching and uh, a physical place for learning and developing a football. And I cannot see Freddy Bobic doing the latter part. I cannot see Freddy Bobic really be interested in the youth teams. I cannot see Freddy Bobic be really, really interested in women's football. Maybe I'm doing her, him a disservice, but I think it would be more of a specialist job to help Flick to be a second face for the German national team. But it wouldn't come close to doing all the jobs that, that Bierhoff did. And strategically, I'm not sure Freddy Bobic is the right person. I think we would need somebody who's more of a developer, more of a builder. But I can see why he would definitely provide a challenge and a difference of opinion and another pole, if you will, of power within the German national team. If that's what they want, then it's it's an interesting job, but it then begs the question, who's going to do all the other stuff? Because I don't see him as doing it. And my feeling is that the German FA, having seen how powerful Beerhoff had become, don't want that one powerful person anyway. They will, I think, split up this role into two, maybe even three different positions and get in two or three people then to to do this job which comes with a nice side effect of the people in charge not giving up too much of their of their power as well which is 
I think always a consideration. But we have been talking about this aspect of um, that Germany needs a boost, an emotional boost. Uh, I don't see Freddy Bobic as the guy who can provide this boost. And if he, and even if we, we, um, the doubts you are having about him as being interested in in women's football and 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 in the academy and and so on. Um, even if he would only be the kind of second face of uh, the German national team beside Hansi Flick, would that be a face that would make the team more popular, that is la lacking popularity, that is lacking love now by the supporters? Difficult to answer. I think Bobic is seen as someone who is very straight-talking, who connects with people, but not necessarily in a, in a positive way. I think people um, respect him. People take him seriously. But outside of Frankfurt, I don't think they necessarily see him as sort of a hero figure uh, because he's quite critical, uh, quite negative. Often, it's gonna be gonna be interesting, and especially when it comes to the, his relationship with uh, with Flick. You know, if it's if we're really gonna see a situation like we have sometimes have in the Bundesliga, when after a game, the first guy to criticize the team is not the reporter but the sporting director, <laughs> who says this was wrong, and here we have to get better. How Flick is gonna deal with that? Because Bobic, I think, will see it as his job to say these things. And to be the the nagging voice, the doubt, the the challenge. And I seriously doubt whether Flick can thrive in this environment, personally. How Bobic is seen or could be seen is um, that he is in a way old-fashioned. Um, It's difficult to describe because he is also into all this modern stuff and, and he, so he is not a person from football's past or so, but, but he has something, um, about him. Um, and probably that's what, um, attracted, uh, um, Aki Watzke that is different to this new football kind of stuff that comes from the German FA. It's um, the, the German FA is also lacking a bit of old fashioned um, atmosphere smell. It, it, it smells also all too fresh or so. And, and Bobic is a bit different in that respect, but um, Yeah, but 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 in fact, I think the interesting question is is really how how they uh, would define the role of this future sports director, or if they will split it and and we have a head of the academy, a head of the national team, or a head of the national teams, or uh, uh, whoever um, uh, they they will. Um, Organize it. Well, Bobic seems to be the, the candidate that has the backing at this point for this particular role. I still think there's a possibility that we might get Lothar Matthäus if the role is just defined as being the link between the FA and Hansi Flick. 
I think because of the strong relationship between Mateus and Flick, it could work. But of course, it wouldn't necessarily be the challenge and the independent look that maybe the FA want. And they might be wary of having such an outspoken big personality in that position. Uh, Summer is ready to do it, but only on an external basis. As an advisor, he doesn't want the uh, role full-time. I think he would be very good in this role if it's, again, just a national team because he is exactly that guy who will challenge you and make, you know, pose difficult questions. But it's going to be very interesting to see what what happens. Um, I'm sure we'll know, we'll have a little bit more clarity before, before Christmas. But... Before we go, uh, Christoph, I want to talk briefly about Hansi Flick and hit the lessons for him, irrespective of what's going to happen in the structure of the FA. What do you think the lessons are that he will have to learn for his own coaching from this World Cup? Yeah, I think it's it's um, absolutely this, what, what we already had talked about, that he has to find um, a balance within, uh, within the uh, style of his team. And um, that was lacking. That was, um, he has to think about more about the uh, defensive basics. And he has to think about more about uh, not conceding goals. However, you do that. But uh, my impression is that they hadn't put enough energy into this. I mean, Markus Sorg, uh, his um, assistant coach, is normally seen as a kind of defensive freak, <laughs> in, interested in, in, in this part of, of a football match mainly. Maybe he wasn't heard. I don't know. Um, maybe he was, wasn't loud enough. Maybe he had lost the interest in, 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 in this. Um, uh, we, we don't know that. We can, we can only speculate about it. But I've said it here, um, and I think I will uh, say it in the future several times again, it's the uh, defensive uh, part that this German national team has to, to work on. They have to be better organized. Um, they have to have clearer um, roles. That's something I learned from Union Berlin. Every player... Uh, not only in the um, uh, defensive, but also in the offensive part of, of football, knows what to do in every situation. And my impression is that um, a lot of the German players didn't know what to do in every situation, especially against the ball. And because when you when you have this structure, when you have this kind of um, rule book in your head, if this is, happens, I have to do that, and and then if we 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 have to move here, and we I have to stand there, and and so on. It also helps you in in a crisis. I mean, in a crisis on the pitch, because when things mess up, a situation gets difficult. You have always something to fall back to. Ah, yes, I have now. It's happening. This I have to do that, and I think you could could clearly see that that was not the case with this uh, German national team and they need this frame to uh, to get their things 
going. And we'll see if uh, Flick will be able to provide that framework in the next few months and what the framework will be surrounding him as far as the FA structures are concerned. Certainly something we will revisit when Beer and Honey will return in due course. Beer and Honey will be back one last time before the year's over with our big look back at 2022 from a German football perspective. Uh, not all of it positive, I think it's fair to say. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> Join us for that edition in due course. Uh, until that, have a lovely Christmas if we don't speak to you before. And thank you so much as ever for supporting us. If you are not yet a subscriber, please go to steadyhq.com slash en slash beer and honey. There will also be a link on social media too. Keep our lovely little podcast going. All right, that's it for today. Goodbye from me, Raphael. And from me, Christoph. Tschüss. Bye. Beer and Honey, the German football podcast. <laughs>